Hello, everyone. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. You know, it's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, premier free writing magazine on the Internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews from best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres, all kinds of genres. Sometimes we do literary, sometimes we do suspense, sometimes we do romance. Right now I got the uh, my conversation with the one and only Damon Swade, president-elect of the Romance Writers of America. Damon's a fascinating guy, has a lot to say. Brilliant guy, kind of, I have to say. Uh, check it out. Check it out. Authormagazine.org. Next week, or next month, uh, I'm going to put up my conversation with Donald Moss, he of writing the breakout novel. Wonderful agent and teacher and writer and just a good guy. Anyway, this is all on authormagazine.org. Check it out. You're going to love it if you don't know about it already. And we're funded by the fabulous Pacific Northwest Writers Association. These people have been supporting writers from pen to publication since 1955. Great organization. We had another great conference. Happens every September. We're going to do it again next year. We're taking a little break right now. But, you know, just start up. We have classes. We have a monthly meeting. I think we'll be teaching in a couple of those. And if you don't live in the Northwest, but you were interested, doesn't matter. You can become a member, and then you can uh, have access to those monthly meetings virtually through the, the magic of the Internet. Yes, you can. See, we're a modern organization. So check it out at, uh, at pnwa.org. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Anything going on with me? Not much. I'm going to be down there uh, next week. Good Lord. Next Thursday and Friday, I'm going to be teaching three classes at the Writer's Digest Novel Writing Conference in Pasadena. Ah, yes, I'll be teaching three. It'll be a lot of fun. Alice Hoffman's going to be there. A bunch of other good, I don't know, some other teachers. I don't know who else, but I know Alice. She's going to be giving the keynote. She's a wonderful lady. I've had the chance to interview her a couple times. Anyway, if you're there and you like the show, say hello, right? That's what we do. Say hello. Don't be shy. All right. Now, speaking of the, P- or the PNWA, they have a conference every year, and one of the things they do is they they give out the Nancy Pearl Book Award. I believe there's two, fiction and nonfiction. Maybe there's a third. Maybe it goes mainstream. Anyway, I think two or three win. It's kind of a prestigious award now. Well, today's guest, debut novelist Susan Welch, she won it. She did. She won it for her first book, A Thread So Fine, uh, which uh, talked about, well, I don't want to tell you what it's all about. It's sort of uh, based somewhat on her experience as an adoptive child, but it's fictionalized. Well, we don't want to get into the nitty-gritty of it. Suffice it to say, she wrote a book, she won an award, and now she's going to talk to me, I hope. Susan, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks very much, Bill. How are you? Susan, I'm doing fabulous. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. I know you're a busy woman, but yet here you are. And uh, we're going to get to know you a little bit, I hope. Um, let me see. So first of all, uh, congratulations are in order. You, you're a prize winner. What do you think of that? Thanks. I, thank you. You could have knocked me over with a feather. It was a, a lovely surprise. I'm a huge Nancy Pearl fan. Yeah. I used to own a bookstore, and uh, we always loved whatever Nancy had to say or recommend. And, of course, I love the PNWA as well. So it was a win-win. Wow. <laughs> where, where did you own that bookstore? West Seattle. It was called Hullabaloo, and it was only around for four or five years in the early knots, but we all loved it. Wow. 
A lot of fun. Well, so books have been a part of your life at least for a while now. Um, so a thread so fine. This is your first novel. Uh, you, you you have a it has an interesting um, sort of creation story, so to speak, uh, which I want to get to. But uh, you know, you're not 25 years old and fresh out of an MFA program. You came to this a little bit later. Have you been someone who's been writing all her life? but very casually. What's your relationship to writing been? I think that's a really good way to put it. I've been writing all my life sort of casually and every once in a while, a bigger project would flare up um, that I would sort of take to a certain point. But really, as you said, when the creation (laughs) of this story happened, I I kind of knew from the beginning that this was going to be one that I intended to take all the way um, through to and when did that happen? Like, what, like time-wise, when did it first? Did you first get the idea? Like, well, I actually want to write this story. When I first, I would say, when I first discovered I was adopted, when I was forty-six years old, oh. and started. Yeah, that was sort of really. The, <laughs> yeah, and in those early nights, you know, my my mind was perseverating like crazy. Uh, I had a really hard time sort of just sleeping because it was such big news and as i often say it was it wasn't like winning the lottery and it wasn't like you know being told you had a terminal disease it was just this huge yeah. news that sort of knocked you off your block right and um you know i do what i always what i generally do because i am a writer uh, I'm a writer and, and and you know have always loved stories so i started to um uh, just I sort of started to imagine my birth mother and my mother who raised me who had died uh-huh. by the time i as sisters in the 1940s, as a way to sort of understand their world and what right. what bring about the situation where a mother would be so where a birth mother would be so secretive about it. What was the what was society like? What was their life like? How did they face challenges? Uh, that kind of thing. And it worked. You know, I would sort of lay in bed and and think about Shannon and Eliza. And um, the, the very first thing that that I had to do was I, Eliza write a letter uh, to Shannon. And that letter is actually still in the book. <laughs> and so, in, in your version, your 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 birth mother is Eliza. Well, it's not that linear by any stretch. Okay. This is really right, it just... ends up just two women because I didn't okay. know my birth mother or anything about her when I first uh, discovered this news, and my mother had passed away. So, while I uh, went down the, the realistic journey of trying to find my birth mother and come to terms right. with what it. I sort of had this parallel creative story going on, and it was both cathartic and um, informative, I would say. Do you mind, how did you learn, this is such an interesting, I've, I've worked with some memoirists who have gone through this. Um, how did you learn at that, that age, when you're, so the, the, a lot of the characters are, have passed away, how did that information come to you? Well, they really aren't. They, they, there is, there is, there are only a few things uh, in the story that are directly related to ah. um, my my people, right? So, the, and, the, and that the most um, sort of obvious or direct one is that my mother, who raised me, Betty, actually did have tuberculosis in 1946 or seven mm. as a ten-year-old. And she did spend a year in quarantine uh, and, and underwent draconian surgeries that changed the course of her life. Um, and so that, that was sort of the anchor. That was the one thing that I wanted to write about because I had found it so interesting as a kid. Not interesting, but like wild, you know, <laughs> to right. think that mother 
would spend uh, a year in a bed, not just in hospital, not just in quarantine, but in bed. Um, wow. And so I did want to take a pen to that, and I always did want to research that more. Uh, so that right. was sort of one. You know, it's the story of two sisters coming of age in 1946, right after the war, who um, are both they're from an academic sort of an, a relatively forward-thinking family, um, and they're they're both looking at their futures with a great deal of optimism. They're very close to each other, um, but of course, life happens. They each have one of the sisters' is that she has tuberculosis. Wow. And, you know, it's an interesting period you chose to write about. I know it was linked to your own life, but that's an interesting period because we're really in transition as a as a country from yes. the old to the new. And, and you know, I, I, any, I mean, when people talk about the women's movement, most people point to World War II as when it really began. All those women who had worked yeah. in the factories and then just an expectation that the first generation of women who are going to school, who really going to school, that that's when it's really taking its hold, but the country hadn't yet acknowledged that that's where they're going. And it seemed like you were, no, you were so dealing with that. It's, yeah, very much so. I mean, spot on. So, you know, the first wave feminism starting in the 1890s, 1910, the shirtwaist factory, triangle fire. Right. Um, so the women's suffrage, suffragette movement, prohibition, all of that stuff sort of set up this, but, you know, the first wave of feminism, World War II happened. And then, as you say, after the war, one would think that that would just accelerate. But, of course, it didn't because society at large sort of wanted, it seems, wanted to sort of regroup around these norms that had been right. established. Right. And one of those norms was that, um, you know, a man and a woman get married and they have babies and, and that's that. And if you are an unwed mother, you don't do that. And. You know, the more uh, Catholic and, and white you are, the more the more difficult it's going to be for you. <laughs> if right. That's what you want to do. So that is exactly the moment that I was exploring exactly that um, sort of dichotomy between the optimistic, forward-thinking, healing. You know, uh, people had suffered immensely. They had lost sons. They had lost fathers, husbands. Uh, people were impoverished in some cases, and. And yet there was this optimism, but, you know, if a, if a woman wanted to be autonomous um, or, or, you know, wanted to sort of um, live her life in a certain way, that was still not so, uh, not so obvious. Right. Despite, you know, despite necessarily the family. So, say again? Say again? Well, in the case of, of my story, the family itself is, uh, you know, they're academics and they're somewhat forward thinking, so, mm -hmm. you know, but it, it was more than just the family. It was society yeah well you know it's interesting uh there's a uh, there's a sheila bender is a wonderful um memoirist teacher um from uh from the in the area seattle area and she talks about you know and i write about my own life really to the exclusion of anything else and uh, but she mentions and she says a good point which is the what is the occasion for telling in other words if i'm writing about my own life or about something that happened to me 20 years ago it's what's happening to me right now that's going to inform the most how I write about that. So in other words, if I talked about mm -hmm. meeting my wife now, I might write about it differently 10 years from now because where I am now always affects what I'm writing about. And I suspect that as you wrote this novel, what, what you were going through besides learning that you're an adopt, adopted, because you have a lot more to your life than the fact that you learned at 46 you were adopted, began to yeah. eke out too in this book, yeah? Just what you are oh my interested goodness, in. so much so. Right? Yeah, you like, know, what like what's an example? In... Well, I think the most, you know, the one that's sort of the most direct link is how did I feel about my own 
identity. You know, my, this, yeah. how did I feel about the fact that women were sort of compelled to, um, you know, be part, go into these homes for unwed mothers and give up their children? And, you know, how, how did I, now from this new perspective of a, of a child who was searching for a birth mother, how did I feel about that? And, you know, you might, it might seem like the answer is obvious, but it isn't. I think I, I mm-hmm. felt it's quite complex, you know, and I don't, I don't think that there's a wrong uh, way to do it. And I, I, I think it made me very compassionate about, um, well, where society was a little bit and, and also, um, you know, what, what women were facing um, in, in the context of a society that still maybe wasn't as talkative <laughs> uh, yeah. as we are, you know, they didn't, they didn't do therapy necessarily. And, and in right. the case of uh, the other traumatic event, you know, there was no easy out for that character. So I think it gave me it, my current, my other sort of track, which was trying to discover my birth mother and my birth family really informed uh, a lot of how Eliza and Shannon um, evolved. Yeah, I would you say. know, and it strikes me whatever, when I read books that deal with issues around femininity and feminism, I mean, the idea of identity, because that's a lot of what I, I've always thought feminism dealt with. Like it said, no, you're not just this. You could be mm-hmm. these other things too. You do have choices in terms of what you want, how you want to express yourself. And it struck me that if, when, when you learn at 46 that you're adopted, the whole concept of identity kind of gets turned on its head, and it, and it would seem to me it would drive you deeper into yourself totally. to say, what am I really? I, am, am, I want, am I the son? Am I the daughter of these people, or am I the sister, or am I something else that I can draw upon for what identity is? Does that make sense? No, oh, it's so true. It's, it's absolutely that. And, you know, I, it's, it's, there are many, many levels of identity sort of that are thematic in the book. One of them is sisters, right? So even mm-hmm. if you are, you know for sure that that's your mom and dad and you're both sisters. And you've, in the case of Shannon and Eliza, they're, they're very, very close for, for reasons that, you know, around their mother's emotional state. Um, right. And as sisters, you know, they as very much like me with my sister, you know, I was the this one. I was the, the outgoing one. I was right. the smart one. I was the one who was going to be, you know, probably the more predictable in life. My sister was the shy one. She was the one who didn't do well in school. She's the one who loved horses. But as we've gotten older, in many ways, that identity has not only shifted, but almost like swapped. (laughs) So I find that interesting, too, how how our identities get shaped by experience and maybe by some things that were just latent in us uh, as children that we didn't really relate to as identity because people didn't observe it, right? So much of our identity is what other people observe in us. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I think also I I work with clients one-on-one and I've noticed myself that I think we often take things for granted in ourselves that are our greatest strengths that we don't even acknowledge. And, and, and we just, cause we just are, they're just like our feet, you know, we're so used to them, but they're actually. And because people don't, other people don't call them out. You know, right. And that's exactly yeah. what happens in the book, really, is that uh, Shannon's um, sort of uncelebrated strengths uh, become key, and Eliza's right. un- misunderstood weaknesses uh, become, you know, key. Right. And, you know, it's funny, you talk about identity. My brother, I grew up, my brother was like the funny one, the actor, the funny one, and I was the writer, because that's what I wanted to do <laughs> from the very, very early age. But 
my, my brother John always was interested in writing and storytelling, and he's come to he does a lot more writing now. And uh, he was talking to me, he said, you know, it's hard, you know, because you were the writer. And it strikes me that uh, being willing to put the mantle of writer on your shoulders or your head, that's hard for some people because especially maybe like I said, if you because you came to it later. That's something we sometimes, if you are someone selling books, authors can sometimes be seen as special people or writers are special mm-hmm. people and you don't feel special. Did you have trouble with that role, calling yourself an author, calling yourself a writer, when you decide to Imposter take this book syndrome. on seriously? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, syndrome. sure. Yeah. Of course, you know, especially when you're, you know, in the middle of the night and you're doing your third revision and you have to work yeah. the next day, and you know, and all of that, you're like, what am I doing? Why am I doing yeah. this? I'm not even a writer, but of course I am a writer, and I've been a writer for decades, and I've always, since I was little, given myself that title um, yeah. in a way, even though I've never published, and it had before this point at least nothing fictional. And right. um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a real, but you know what, this time, so that's, a, I think, a fairly a fairly common trait that many of us have, whether it's writing or or, or whatever else we inspire to do. But this right. time, right from the beginning, I told myself that I it was different this time. I I told myself I was going to see it through, regardless of where it took me, uh, right. and I wasn't going to be driven by um, sort of the splash in the pond at the end, right? It was going right. to be, I was going to do it for me because I felt value in it. And I mean, I know that sounds obvious, but it, it really no. wasn't for me at that point no. in my life. I felt like I needed that. And that was, no. that was also quite important. Now that's critical, you know, because when you write a book, no one's telling you to do it. No one's giving you a check to do it. No one's probably giving, right. especially fiction. No one's giving you a, I mean, for nonfiction, you can get contracts beforehand, but fiction is sure not happening. And you, mm-hmm. and you absolutely have to really set your intention. Because mm-hmm. it's, exactly. it's, it's no one's going to do it for you, and it makes a huge difference setting it ahead of time, um, and and not just sort of stumbling along and and hoping your 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 you still have the stick with itness that you need at the end. Now, I think it's critical, and I think it's take it's taken it's not. Um, I don't think people understand the power of that, especially with their first or second book, where they're still starting okay. off. I think it was very good choice on your part. Yeah, you know, that, and I remember I was at the Hugo, I don't know where I was, some conference. I suppose it was maybe the first conference I went to, was, which was a children's book. Uh, I, I first thought this was going to be perhaps YA. But mm. at that conference, somebody said, you know, do not call yourself an aspiring writer. You are a writer. Right. <laughs> no, not. it's true. So, yeah. Yeah, because you're aspiring. That's one day you'll do it. But, right. Well, and also, you know, the thing with writing is, I mean, publishing is great. You get to have conversations like this with me. Isn't that great? Or you get to meet your, and there's a lot of really nice things about publishing your work and sharing it. I always think that's the natural trajectory for creating something you love is sharing it. But Mm -hmm. the experience of writing, as torturous as it can be sometimes for people, is the the gift in the end, is the win, Mm -hmm. the actual experience Mm -hmm. of when you're in the zone, of when it's coming and you're discovering. That remains for me and for all the writers I know, the thing that brings them back more than the, I did it, I published is nice, but I still don't think it compares to the actual experience of going deep down that rabbit hole and having that wonderful lost in time experience of discovering yeah, so writing. Yeah. So true. So true. So true. I, mean, I remember with my third revision, my editor 
right after my second, she came back and said, uh, my developmental auditor, you know, if you really, you know, it's great, lots of good things. Here's what I would do, one through one through six. She said, and number seven is, you really need to unpack all of these chapters and write them from uh, from different point of views within the chapters so that they're more chronological. It will be a better story. And I, I just said to her, oh, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> There's just no uh-huh. way. I'm not going back there. I'm not going to take that deep dive again. It's too exhausting. And I put right. it down for about five months, six months. And uh, but I kept, I kept thinking, you're going to do it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you are going to do it. Of course you are, because she's right. And uh, you know, I did it. And once again, you find yourself in that place of exactly where you really want to be, right? Yeah. Which is seeing your story like a big broad cloth. And uh, yeah. yeah. Well, so you have done, you'd written some nonfiction. You've always been writing, but this is your first novel. Uh, and it, that's an animal unto itself. Um, what was the hardest thing and the most surprisingly difficult thing you had to learn about writing a book, a, a book length project that is fiction? Well, I suppose, uh, sort of on the mechanical level, I think it was. Um, uh, Writing beautiful sentences, you know, writing sentences yeah. that held together, and and then you know after, for example, after that rework, which uh, in the big sense was easier than I thought it was going to be, in the detail sense it was hell, because you change <laughs> things that you then have to go and find uh, the ten yeah. ways that it affected something either upstream or downstream. Ah, uh, crazy! Oh my yeah, oh, God. <laughs> oh, it's so annoying. That was yeah. the hardest thing I would say in the mechanical sense. In the um, bigger sense, of course, it's putting it down and saying, "Okay, it's time to query." Yeah, yeah, isn't that fun? And what was the <laughs> hardest emotional thing doing it? What, what was the part you had to do? What was the what was the what was the the child in you frustrated about? What what was the hardest part emotionally? I think the hardest part emotionally was deciding which ending to give it because oh. the ending said some you know was the ending sort of represented something that I wanted to say and Absolutely. which ending would say it best yeah, um, yeah. which ending yeah. would say it best and which end, but also which ending would be more I have to say more pleasing to a reader so fulfilling right, right? not not necessarily happy but fulfilling <laughs> like oh that makes sense and it's whenever okay I read happy. a review where somebody says you know it really made sense I feel happy. (laughs) That's good. Well, endings, I I will tell you, I think endings are the most ignored part of books. I think they're the least, I think they're the most important part because that's what you, that's what you, that's where you give the reader the gift you've chosen to give. And and you can wipe out 380 pages of a wonderful book if the last two pages don't deliver, you know, because that's where you end. So I think it's critical. And also, I think it's where you have to decide what you believe about life, what you think is true. It's true. You know, and I, the setting for the ending, my ending itself, like where it took place and what the conditions were, that wasn't what changed. It was Mm. the way that the characters behaved in the ending. Right. Right. That was, um, yeah, that was critical. Yeah. Well, it's, 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 it's where you have to be brave. I didn't, I, I, my career, I didn't really have a career until I learned how to end things. And I, and I learned how to end things, and I write a lot of short things, but I had to end them all. The endings were where I made my, where, where is the reason I'm talking to people now is because I learned how to end things. And it was because I finally accepted what it is I believed about life, about love, about yeah. loss, and what I really had always resisted, but 
and finally accepted in myself. And then I could end things. And I think yeah. that that's, I think that's, you know, I do think it's where writers lose their nerve is they're afraid to yeah. come out and just be honest about what they think is oh, true yeah. or not true. Oh yeah. You know? yeah. I think that's so true. And that, so yeah. in that sense, it's the ending. It's all the things that come near the ending that create the ending. And I know there was yeah. one situation uh, where one of my beta readers who is one of my best friends, the one who's in the hospital right now, she oh. had a problem with, with, uh, with this, with one monologue that one of my characters has sitting outside of a church and, you know, mm-hmm. it comes down to that Catholicism and the adoption right. and all that. And she, right. she really didn't like it. And I, I, I looked long and hard and I thought, nope, I'm sorry. That that's what I want to say. Um, right. Some people might like it. Some people might not, but that is very much what I want to say. Oh. Here's, <laughs> you know, here's the thing, man. I was just, I was, I, ha- I teach a class online for this fearless writing class for writers digest online. And I have people write about what they like and don't like. And what's critical to understand as soon as you become an author is if you write something guaranteed, someone is going to want to throw it across the room somewhere. Someone <laughs> yeah. it's, yeah. it's, no matter how much you nail it, they're going to say, yeah. what? maybe because <laughs> you nail it. <laughs> May, yes, exactly. Like you just have to make peace with that. And what's awful is you have thrown a book maybe across, maybe not literally, but oh, you yeah. have put oh, a book like, oh, I just hate it. And to think that you're now the one inspiring that yeah. in somebody because it's going to happen. Yeah. You know, that's, so true. That, yeah. that's just the way it goes. You have to grow up a little bit when you publish books, Susan, <laughs> just a little bit. That's so true. Yeah. You know, well, it's worth it. The very book that did that to me and then they turned it into a movie and they changed really? the ending at, in the uh, movie. And I thought, okay, now I don't like that either. You not, not the ending, but I right. don't like that. They changed it. You know, the author, right. whether I liked it or not, that was, I was furious with the ending. Um, <sighs> and, uh, yeah, I was, I was absolutely furious. I was because I loved the book. Otherwise, and um, and and now we all yeah, want to know. We won't ask because I'm not going to rat on writers because I love them all. Yeah. But, but now, now I'm trying. I'm curious. I'm thinking of the movies <laughs> where they changed and well, maybe off camera. Who knows? Uh, yeah. All right. Well, I hope I. You know, listen. You've got, you've had a chance to meet some of your readers, maybe a couple of them. As oh, you've gone yeah, out that's the, been a real, a real bonus, a bonus yeah. chapter for sure is meeting both in book clubs and in bookstores, talking with people, and it, it's fascinating. I just absolutely love it, mostly because so, so much of it is around, you know, the true meaning of family, family origin, identity, and so many of us have stories there. That's and right. And I just love the fact that my book can be a catalyst to start those conversations. Isn't it great? That's one of the things I love about being an author is – it's like is if you go out in the world as the author, people come because they want to have a specific conversation with you. And hopefully yeah. it's a conversation you're dying to have that you can't maybe have at the dinner table or when you're out yeah. with your friends or with your spouse or whatever because they're sick of it. They don't want to hear about it anymore. Yeah. But these people, just, isn't that nice? <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I've been totally humbled by that. It's been uh, wonderful. I've met some amazing people who have stories or, you know, who are just now finding the courage to come out about secrets. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's good stuff. It's really, it's a blessing. And you know, here's the thing, Susan, you're reaching people you'll never meet. You're affecting people you will never, ever meet. You're changing their lives ever so slightly and you'll just never even know about it, but it's happening anyway. I can guarantee you it's happening anyway. And that's the lovely invisible, but sort of psychic ripple effect that is being an author. And I think it's a great gift myself. Yeah, I agree. You know, and so are you going to do another one? Have you got another one in you, Susan? I hope so. This one was beautifully written, by the way. 
I didn't get thank to tell you. you until now, but it really was. Oh, thank you. I so appreciate hearing that. Um, uh, yes, I actually wrote a screenplay in the 90s that I would <gasps> love to turn into a novel, and I would like to also write a, no- a second novel with some of the characters in A Thread So Fine. Oh, interesting. Oh, you're going to do a, a Larry McMurtry kind of. He likes to bring his characters. <laughs> oh, well, good so for you. Well, so much is about genetics and how the past you know, generations affect future generations. And I love that idea. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so. true. It's true. It is a thread. It's a great choice of metaphors that just can run through fears that run through families, beliefs that run through families. Mm-hmm. Passed down unconsciously. It's fascinating stuff. I sometimes think what they call genetics is just people's beliefs that they just tell each other and tell each other and tell each other, you know? Right, like a live. muscle, like a muscle memory, yes. right? Yeah. yeah. You know, there's that great story about um, where someone tells where th- this this um, this family is cooking uh, uh, an um, Easter dinner. And the, the the wife says, there's the wife and the husband and then the wife's family's there. And the wife says, and the husband puts the, about to put the ham in the pan. And the wife says, you got to cut the, you got to cut the ends off the ham before you bake it. He says, what are you talking about? You have to cut. We always did it. You cut the ends off the ham before you throw in the oven. That's the only way you can cook a, cook a ham. And her mother comes walking in and she says, mom, isn't that right? You have to cut the ends off the ham. And she says, no, our pan was just really small. So we had to cut the ends <laughs> off. That's why we did it. And I think so, <laughs> so right? So yeah. much of what we're doing is yeah, just that. It's so true. Well, all I'm right. on the opposite end of that. Yeah. So, all right. So, um, listen, uh, if people want to learn about you, I think it's Susan Welch Author is what I Googled to find, to find mm-hmm. out all about you. Yep. Is that the best place to go? That's the best place to go. Yep. I'm also on Facebook. I don't, I'm, yeah. All right. There's, other, there's another Susan Welch out there. You don't want her. You want the Susan Welch author. That'll take you. Right. Okay. You can learn all about Susan. She's, it's a great website. Uh, all right. But I'm not quite done with you, Susan. I want you to finish this sentence. If writing has taught you anything, it's taught you what? The importance of really sometimes doing things just for yourself, you know, just for your own edification or betterment. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, you know what I think, Susan? I think sometimes that's the best reason to do anything. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah, hard, maybe, hard. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. But absolutely. Well, good for you. It's a good lesson to learn. Take it forward. Spread it. Share it. Good luck with this book, and and good luck with all the ones I hope that are to follow. Thanks so much, Bill. It was a blast talking with you. All right. Take it easy. Bye bye. Bye bye. Yes, people. Do it. You know, they say do it for yourself. That doesn't mean you don't share your work. No, you don't. Of course you do. But I'll tell you, if you've read my blogs, if you like those, when I started publishing those, the one who benefited the most from them first was me. I always felt good at the end of them. And I thought, well, I don't know if anyone's reading them, but man, I feel good. And then people told me they felt good too. I did it for myself, really. And I still do. But then I share the gift I gave myself with everybody. And that's what we all do when we write. Yes, we do. I want to thank my producer, Mr. Uh, R.J. Jeffries. I'm going to be back with another Nancy Pearl Book Award winner next week. Oh, it's going to be great. Till then, go find something you love to do and do it. (laughs) 